Hey there, my whizzes. Thank you for choosing to spend time with me here on the Food Biz Whiz podcast, especially given the ups and downs happening right now. I'm going to be honest with you. I recorded this episode with my guest, Christy Lee of Nourishing Food Marketing, before things got really real with COVID, but I'm making the decision to air this episode regardless, as I think the content is still relevant, if not more so, given what we're going through right now. So here's what we're talking about on today's episode. We are going to learn Christie's marketing secrets, starting with nailing your target audience and using that information to guide you in decision making. Now, I know that you've heard me talk about target audiences before, and I know that you might think that you've got your consumer dialed to a T, but I'm willing to bet that you still have room for improvement. Why am I placing my money on this? Well, because even when new students come into Retail Ready, citing that they've been in business three, five, I mean, heck, even 10 years, I see over and over again that they don't always have this piece in place, even when they think they do. I also know that, especially given our current climate, that you can't keep moving forward until you have this crystal clear, as it's the key to capturing more sales. So without further ado, let's get to it. I can't wait for you to meet Christy and hear what she has to say on today's episode. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Allie Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. Hey, before we jump in, I want to make sure that you've grabbed my free retail roadmap, a workbook that outlines my nine steps to building a brand that flies off the shelf. If you're a producer of a packaged product in the food industry, you are going to want this. I'll add it to today's show notes, so make sure you check out that PDF when you're done listening. Thanks. Welcome, Christy. Great to have you on the show today. Hi, Allie. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. Okay, so I'm going to get right into it because we have a lot to talk about, and I'm really excited to talk to you, Christy. I know that you have such a great background. So from starting your own food brand, Tiny Hero, to helping a lot of great startup brands with their marketing, like Petit Poe, Sunwink, and Planet Forward, and working with big brands at Clorox, like Hidden Valley Ranch, you've seen the behind-the-scenes marketing strategies of so many different sized businesses. So thank you for being on the podcast today. Can we start our conversation by learning a little bit more about you and hearing about Tiny Hero, the food brand that you started yourself? Yes, of course. Um, starting Tiny Hero was a wild ride of small challenges and big challenges. Yeah. We were on this grand mission to make quinoa and everyday food for everyday people, um, which was a lot. This was uh, in 2017. Yep. Um, so our strategy was to make our brand more accessible. First, we thought about accessibility from a brand DNA perspective. There's so many quinoa brands on shelf today that are targeted to the yoga going whole food shopper and shelf. Yep. This goes to a little bit to the target consumer that we're going to talk about later. But I thought about how could we create a brand that appeals to the consumer who wants to take small incremental steps to be healthier and help bring them into the fold. So I built Tiny Hero to be a really fun, 
dynamic brand with bright yellow packaging and a category with a lot of earthy greens and blues. Yeah. Um, the second thing that yeah. we thought about was how do we think about accessibility from a product perspective? So a lot of consumers thought about quinoa as a side dish for dinner, but how can we bring quinoa into different parts of the day and different eating occasions? Mm-hmm. So we did this by launching new innovative products like mac and cheese with a Q instead of a C mm. with classic wheat <laughs> pasta and whole grain quinoa to introduce kids to an unfamiliar grain. So cool. I know I'm making my experience sound really like thought through and yeah. linear, yes, but the truth are. was that it was <laughs> anything but that. Every day was a new hurdle. And sometimes I just had to close my eyes and jump. We had some successes. We got up to 10,000 points of distribution, launched new and new products in here, and also some failures such as a voluntary product recall. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I learned so much and it led me to discover how much I love this fuzzy unknown of the early stages of building brands. So that's what led me to start Nourishing Food Marketing. We're a brand marketing consultancy that provides extraordinary brand marketing for emerging food and beverage brands. So think of us as a part-time CMO and our approach brings the frameworks, processes, and thinking of best-in-class marketing from both big food the people that created some of the world's most recognizable brands like Coca-Cola and McDonald's in a scrappy and selective way to entrepreneurial brands. I've talked to so many brands who say, I'm too small to think about that. Yep. And my response is always, you're too small to think about that in the same way that a big brand does. But how about this other way? So that brings me to what we're talking about today, how to bring the consumer voice into your business and how to figure out your target audience. Nailing this is key. 70% of new products fail. 70% of new products fail. So how do you make sure that your product, which you're investing so many resources, time, energy, blood, sweat, and tears into bringing to market, flies off the shelf once it's there? So it's critical to know who you're talking to, who your target audience is, um, and how to talk to them in a way that works for your fast-moving, resource-constrained business. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you, and I am so I was going to say grateful. <laughs> I'm so grateful <laughs> I had the perspective of starting your own business and, you know, working through the ups and downs of being a foodpreneur, right? It is a challenging mm-hmm. industry to be in. And I find that it is, it's so valuable to bring that firsthand perspective to your clients. Yeah. And I was so lucky at Tiny Hero because I had an A plus team that all had experience in food before. So we were, you know, we already had a leg up, but, and I want to help bring that expertise and thinking to other foodpreneurs because that's so helpful because there's this crazy world out here of food CBG with its own vernacular, its own vocabulary, its own way of working that is hard to crack sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like you're speaking a foreign language when you're walking in the door to that first buyer meeting, right? Exactly. <laughs> I can even remember when I first started at Byright and I was sitting in my first category review and you know, I was around the table, gosh, I was probably like 23 years old. I was the only woman at the table mm. and someone started, you know, I don't know, it was maybe Sam or Raph or someone started talking about all these like complex like numbers and using all these words that I did simply did not know. And I remember just scrambling and taking notes and going home that night and like literally looking up wholesale terms so that I would be more prepared Mm -hmm. for the next meeting. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you did that in Tiny Hero as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm lucky because I was able to have training at Clorox and they did such yeah. a great job of offering marketing training. Like we would actually, you know, the whole group of brand marketers would take two hours out of every week to like sit down and listen to an expert talk about something. So I feel so lucky that I'm, uh, I'm, I can lean on that when I'm talking about how to do this in a small and scrappy way. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's so it's so powerful to have that experience of working for a big company like Clorox um, and being able to then start your own small company and seeing the, like I said, seeing the marketing strategies from, you know, all across the spectrum. What did you do at Clorox? I worked on their food brand. So it may surprise some of you to learn (laughs) that um, they own Hidden Valley Ranch, Casey Masterpiece Barbecue Sauce and Kingsford Charcoal. So some really iconic Americana brands. Gosh, yeah, and Hidden Valley Ranch. I feel like that's a classic. That's such a classic yeah. brand. <laughs> and people love ranch. Uh, it's amazing. You know, the we Hidden Valley Ranch has had lots of success in the past five years of just really leaning into how much people love ranch. Um, and not feeling guilty about it. It helps you eat <laughs> vegetables, but yes, it also helps you eat like wings and pizza and all that. Um, and it's about bringing more flavor to your life in a world where like food is oftentimes eaten because you're bored. Yeah. So how can we help you do that? Yeah. Um, in a way that makes you happy. I so, like thinking, yeah. I like thinking about Hidden Valley Ranch having increased sales in the past five years. That I don't know why that's surprising me. Um, you know, it feels like such a classic brand and some of, you know, we've seen some of those classic brands get outshadowed by these new emerging brands that are up and coming. Why do you think Hidden Valley Ranch is is still on the up and up? I think that they have really leaned into their brand equity that they mm-hmm. have, you know, uh, built over the last 60 years, but they've also done that in a way with new product innovations. So if you're a Hidden Valley Ranch consumer on shelf over the last five years, you've seen new innovations. I worked on bringing Simply Ranch, um, the first new sub-brand for Hidden Valley, which was a clean label ranch to Mm. market a few years ago. Um, So making sure that we're staying contemporary and keeping up with the times. Um, And then we also listened to consumers who were telling us, we love using Hidden Valley as a dip, not just as a salad dressing. And we actually came out with dips. So it's in a format that uh, is much more dippable. It's very similar to how Sabra really revolutionized the hummus category Mm -hmm. way back when. Mm -hmm. You know, it it wasn't that hummus didn't exist. It was that hummus wasn't seen in America as a dip. And so Sabra came out with these wide tubs in order to help consumers actually use it as a dip. Um, And so Hidden Valley has done the same thing. Um, We still have the bottles, of course, but now you can also buy it in a wide tub that you can put out on your table easily. Um, as a you know a pre snack for dinner or for your um, appetizers when you're having folks over, just thinking about how people are actually using the product and really listening to the consumer. Uh, yeah, and that so naturally leads us into what we're talking about today, right? The the mm-hmm. idea that it is so important for brands to understand who their target consumer is and then use that target consumer data to drive decision making in their business right so mm-hmm. can we talk about the high level there like why like you know you just showed us a great example of sabra and then hidden valley ranch knowing their target consumer and like why that's important but on a on a bigger level like 
why should these small brands care? Why should my listeners care? Mm-hmm. I think the key to think about uh, about target consumers is you can't talk to everyone. Shout something, but if you're talking to no one, no one will hear you. And the world is becoming more personal every day. This is happening in so many other channels of our life. You know, the fact that Starbucks gives you your cup and calls you by name. The fact that the Uber driver, when you go in, says, oh, I'm picking up for Christy. Um, the fact that all of our digital, everything online is personalized for me, um, me in, as an individual. And so we as brands have to keep up and start talking to individuals about what they care about. Um, your brands and products will be different depending on who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. I think a really good example of this is that I was working with a frozen meal uh, brand and they had two potential target audiences and they wanted to test who it was that they should be talking to. The first was parents who have kids and they are looking to put that meal on their dinner table in 15 minutes, 30 minutes and have it be really easy. And the second is, you know, she was doing Asian frozen meals. So thinking about, okay, Asian Americans, maybe, um, you know, they want a home cooking or home cooked food and being able to put that on the table really quickly um, with ingredients that meet their values. And what I found out through doing consumer research is that, yes, they had these two potential target audiences. One of them was much more likely to consider the product, so Asian mm-hmm. Americans, because they were familiar with it. Yep, but parents sure. were much more likely to buy it because <laughs> it met a need of theirs. Yeah. And so when you're thinking about that difference, figuring out who your target audience is helps you plan for marketing. It helps you figure out what your objectives are. And it also helps you plan your products. Because we found that for Asian Americans, they want a very different flavor profiles mm-hmm. than sure. parents did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually curious in this, in this scenario, how did you determine, like, how did you decide which one to go, to go with? You decided on the parents who were actually going to pull out their wallets. This is an ongoing discussion that we're having. So that hasn't been decided yet, (laughs) but I think, I think the key thing here is to think about always thinking about everything that you're doing first, what's your business subject? So in terms of her and her business, you know, is she looking to have um, a really fast selling product or is she looking to be able to have more scale? And the Mm -hmm. second question is always, okay, now that you have your business objective and figure that out, then what's your marketing objective to actually achieve that? And then we can start talking about tactics, the everyday things that you do in order to achieve those marketing objectives. So I think making that decision and using that framework can help you think about, okay, this is why I think this is the right path forward. Gotcha. So yeah, really, you said thinking about your business objective and then figuring out that marketing objective that guides you in the tactics to meet that 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 original business objective. That makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's say my listeners are in their cars, they're in their production kitchens, wherever they are, they're nodding along. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I get it. I'm, I'm convinced that I need to do a little bit more work here and figure out my, who my target audience is, how do they do that? I mean, like how, like how do they get that information and figure out whether they're going down the right path? There are a couple ways to think about this in a really scrappy way. The first is looking at the information that you already have available to you. If you're, if you have a website, then you can go to Google analytics and look at the demographics of the people going to your website. 
Mm. If you're on Facebook, you can look to see who's following you, who's liking your comments. What are their demographics? You can go on Instagram and look at the insights of who's engaging with your posts. And so just taking advantage of the data you already have available to you if you're Mm -hmm. in market. Yep. And if you're not in market, then you can do consumer surveys. And this can be anything from actually like writing a survey up in SurveyMonkey and sending out to your newsletter list. Um, It can be as robust as, you know, using that same SurveyMonkey survey and buying responses for a couple dollars each. Um, Or you could actually just talk to your friends and family about what what they're buying and why and understand that. You know, why are people actually purchasing your product? Um, Talking to your current consumers. Uh, You can do this during demos or in any situation where you're actually having that one-on-one feedback. If you're on Amazon, that's a great way to do it Mm -hmm. um, because people are very honest in their reviews. (laughs) So you should read every single one of those reviews and glean everything that you can from it. Figure out what the patterns and trends are. Who's actually buying your product and giving you five stars? Yeah. And so this is, so we do an exercise like this in retail ready and I have a a survey template that my students can use that they can customize for their own brand to help start to ask the right questions Mm -hmm. to their target audience. And this is where I often get pushback, Christy, where people say like, well, you know, I'm at the, I sell at the farmer's market And so many different types of people come and talk to me. Like my target audience is not a single demographic. And here's how, here's why I think that. Here's the evidence that shows that it's not. What would you say to that? I think that your target consumer is not, it doesn't mean that that's the only person you're selling to. Right. Your target consumer is the person that you're talking to and developing your products towards and thinking about all your business decisions and going back to, okay, does this serve my target consumer? Does this serve Sally? Um, and so, you know, there will be other people who purchase your product who, yep. where your messaging is resonating with them. Yes. Um, there are always sort of these halo consumer targets that are loving what you say. Um, but for example, Harley Davidson, their target consumer is uh, the like, Cowboy. It's like the Midwest American yeah. cowboy, right? Yes. That's what you see in all of their um, advertising and all of their messaging. But the truth is that their consumers are actually like middle-aged men yeah. um, that live in <laughs> urban centers. And yes. so, you know, just because you have a target consumer, it doesn't mean that you're not also selling to other groups. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I think Harley is such a great example of that. Um, one of the ways that we talk about it in retail ready is this idea that you have the core consumer and then, you know, your target and then, um, your crowd consumer and then a halo around that. And it's almost like peeling back layers of the onion and realizing that yes, inevitably, (laughs) inevitably more than one small demographic purchases your product. But at the end of the day, you want to speak to that single person, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. So you're, you're speaking to the single person, like where does that show up? Everywhere. Um, <laughs> I think a key way is your, your brand equity and your story. Who, okay. what, do, what do you stand for that no one else stands for? What's your mission and what is your target consumer care? Um, knowing that and being able to nail that and say that whenever, you know, you meet someone in the elevator is so key because that's what your consumers are hearing. That's where um, you need to be able to tell that story. Um, being able to tell it in your website, your social media, um, 
figuring out who your target audience is and what they want to hear is so important. Um, the second way is, and I see a lot of brands, um, small brands, um, have a misstep here is, is really on your packaging and your key claims. Mm-hmm. I see so many brands that have packaging with 10 claims on the front of the pack. And a claim yep. can be everything from USDA organic to no added sugar to nine grams of protein. Yep. Um, but your target consumer, first of all, they definitely have a priority of what they care about. Sure. It could be anything from price to flavor, to texture, to uh, organic, to um, brand familiarity. Yep. Um, but you need to figure out what that is because that's the one thing you need to solve for. For your target audience, what do they most care about in your product? And are you communicating that? And gotcha. so yeah, that's yeah. where it all starts, knowing who you're talking to. Yeah, because you don't want to be, you don't want to have a, let's say a trail mix brand and you're talking about the amount of protein that's in the trail mix. If really what your target audience cares about is that you're a peanut free trail mix or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. Okay. And you know, I, I feel like, we all know when a brand speaks to us, right? Like how many times have you picked up a package or like scrolled through someone's Instagram Instagram mm-hmm. account and you're like, oh, like this, this brand like is in my brain. This brand mm-hmm. is like specifically speaking to me. Like that is so powerful and I love it. I love it when I see brands nail it so clearly. Yes. And it's, it's, it's all about figuring out what your process is to get to that point to getting to amazing social media content. First, you have to figure out who your target audience is, who your target consumer is, and then you figure out what they care about. And then you talk to them about what they care about. So it's sort of like this, this process where you figure out, okay, how do I get the thumb to stop scrolling on social media? You know, that's the goal of every (laughs) brand. So you do that by doing the hard work, the legwork of talking to lots and lots of different people, um, synthesizing that into a thesis, testing that out, and you may not get it right the first time, but that's okay. Because yeah. every time you, that happens, you'll learn a little bit more and you'll keep figuring it out. I like that you say that, Christy, and I'll, I'll thank you for reminding us <laughs> that, that like it, it can be a draft, right? Like w- mm-hmm. it would be, I don't want to say that it would be next to impossible, but it's hard to nail it on the first try. So I love mm-hmm. that you've reassured us that it's a work in progress here. Yeah. Everything is testing and learning and iterative in our world today. Yeah. Oh, thank you for the reminder. I felt like, (laughs) yes, I'm like, so many people need to hear that right now. Okay, cool. So I'm on board with nailing my target consumer. I'm on board with using that information on my packaging, on my social channels, like, you know, talking to them again and again and again to make sure that I've got the right information here. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about that consumer voice and using that target audience data to make decisions in your business. We'll be right back. Instead of having a sponsor for today's episode, I want to give you a freebie, my retail roadmap. This roadmap is essential for anyone launching or growing a packaged food product as it clearly outlines the difference between creating a product line that flies off the retail shelf versus one that just sits there. Find my free retail roadmap linked in today's show notes. You are going to love it. All right, we are back. So Christy, I want to talk about consumer voice now and giving your consumers that voice in decision-making for your business. So did you do this with Tiny Hero? 
Yes. All, all day, every day. All right. um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think when I think about consumer voice, it's just, as I was mentioning before, testing what we were doing to make sure we were on the right track. And I have a really great example of this, which is that we were creating the packaging for our quinoa and we had a new way of cooking it. Um, it was It's the pasta method. So you boil mm. water, you mm. put the quinoa in and then you strain it. And we wanted to make it seem like, you know, almost blase, so easy. So yeah. we said, okay, yeah. first you boil the water, then you put the quinoa in, then you wait 15 minutes and then you eat. And we tested that with consumers and we found out, you know, we, we thought we were so clever, but right. we tested with consumers and they were like, but do I wait? Do I, is, the, is the fire on or is it off or am I still <laughs> cooking it? And we realized, okay, we need to be more specific. And so we changed it from wait to simmer. And small stories like this where you're mm. like checking in with your consumer and that's making your product even better every time. I That's a great example because I, I feel like, or I imagine in your mind, it was so clear, right? You were like, Mm -hmm. we have designed instructions that are foolproof. Like we've got it. And then all of a sudden you hand over that test recipe to, to your target consumer and they come back with all these questions. And I can only imagine how it felt to get that initial feedback. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, oh, but, but of course, how could they not? And then you're like, yeah, I think about this every day, all day but my consumer is trying to make dinner in 15 minutes. So how can we make it so easy for them? Because it's all about them. Like every day when I work for a brand, it's about the consumer. It's about making their lives better. Yeah. I like that. Okay. So in the tiny hero example, you talk about using that consumer voice and developing the instructions, the cooking directions on your package. Where else should companies look to incorporate their consumer voice? I think the other two key places is product development. Okay. So thinking about innovation, once a product, a brand comes out with a product and they see success, the question is always what's next, what's new. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's always, that's how, that's how the food industry works. And so that can sometimes be a hard question because there may not be a natural line extension. So how do you figure out where your brand can play? What do consumers think? Your, you have equity in and what are the ideas that you have that might be successful with that particular target consumer? That's not to say you, your brand has to always have the same target consumer, but in the beginning, it makes it a lot easier if you're continuing to build brand equity with the same group of people. And so yeah. thinking yeah, about, sure. I sure. want to expand my brand and create more products, which of these four ideas are interesting? And you can talk to consumers about that. Um, you know, how much would you pay for these particular products? What claims are important? What flavors do you think you'd like to see? Where do you think they should live in the store? All these questions just to double check your assumptions of making sure that you're right. Yeah, right. Like the last thing you want to do is go full force into developing a new product line or, you know, new packaging changes or whatever it is. Like, you know, thinking that it's going to work with your audience, but not double checking it. Then you wake up, you know, a year later and you haven't, it hasn't been the success that you imagined. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. And I Chris, think the other place. Yeah, go ahead. The other place that it's really important to incorporate your consumer voices is whenever you're developing brand assets. And I have a really mm-hmm. great example of this with Petit Prop. They have a product that is this amazing traditional French pudding. So delicious. It's in these it's single so glass good. containers. It's so, so good. good. <laughs> um, 
But last year, they were starting to um, move away from natural channels to more mainstream conventional yeah. channels. Yep. And so when you make that transition, you're talking to a slightly different consumer uh, group. The pe- different people were shopping at those retailers. And so what we did was we learned um, by doing a, a few different surveys and talking to consumers and talking to, to folks in the newsletter is um, people in the natural channel, when they saw pate creme, to mm-hmm. describe the product, they're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, okay, that sounds good. Um, yeah. I've had that at a French restaurant once. Yeah. Um, it was delicious and they bring it home. But in a conventional store, uh, folks are like, I don't know what that is. And so we renamed the product to be traditional French pudding because that is much easier to understand for folks than pâté crème. So just thinking about everything from what you're naming your product so it's easy to understand what your key claims are, figuring that all out so that your assets work hard for you. Your packaging is your number one marketing billboard. Every single one of your consumers sees it. So every single pixel on that should be picture perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, uh, shoot, who is it? Um, Steven Vigilante with um, Olipop just did a mm-hmm. post on this on saying that when they first launched their cola skew, they called it cinnamon cola. And they found that it wasn't really selling because when they did their target audience surveys, they realized that people weren't purchasing it because they thought that it was going to be too spicy. And of course, Mm. like, you know, they're like, oh, cinnamon, like, I don't want a spicy cola. Like that's, you know, that's not something I'm interested in. Like, I don't want spicy, spicy beverage. I don't want spicy soda. And so sure enough, they renamed it a couple months in, they redid their packaging. I I forget exactly what they're calling it now. It's like classic cola or something like that. And sure Mm -hmm. enough, sales have skyrocketed Mm. since they took the word cinnamon off the front of their package. Mm -hmm. So interesting to me. Gosh. Words are so important in our business. You know, having the right word, having the right number of words. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking and using thesaurus.com to figure out what the word right (laughs) words are. I love that. Yes. Uh, that's a pro tip. <laughs> okay. So let's keep talking about this. Um, so we, we go through the exercise of run of developing a relationship with our target audience. We understand what they want and what they don't want. We think about it for product innovation. We think about it for packaging. What else, like what are some scrappy ways that these small brands can incorporate this in into their business decisions like they're thinking about these high level business decisions like is it as simple as saying like would sally like this price point like would sally like this new product size is that what you're talking about here it is but not in such a direct way okay because um sally probably it's really hard for her to think about a price point without the context of what your product is Mm. and why it's great so we typically test concepts together. Uh, you know, it, it could be a, a sketch of a product package, a one line sentence about what makes you great and different. And then, you know, available at, you know, 16 ounces for three ninety nine. And then you test purchase intent. How likely is someone to purchase this? And then what you can find out is, um, you know, for the people who say they're extremely likely to purchase this or very likely to purchase this, you, you cut the data to figure out who is that person? And why do they want to purchase that product? Yeah. So I know that you do this for your brands, right? Like you help them Mm -hmm. get this 
this information. <laughs> How can you talk more about the process of doing that? And you know, what sort of questions you're f- formulating and like any, any tips that you have for getting that feedback from consumers? Yeah, for sure. I think there are a couple ways that you can think about getting that information. Um, the first is you can get a totally unbiased group of consumers to take your survey to understand what they're thinking. So, yep. you know, SurveyMonkey has an audience panel. It costs a couple of dollars, depending on who you want to talk to, uh, to get a survey response. The second is you can talk to your diehard brand fans, mm-hmm. you know, talk to your newsletter, uh, run a poll on your Instagram stories, um, figure out who your consumer, what your, your, your consumers wants. And the third way you can think about this, and I think there's a really great example um, with Greengrain is you can use your demos or trade shows or other events where you're face-to-face with people, your farmer's market booth, um, to start testing these. Yeah. So what Regrain did last year, and they talked a lot about it, is that they went to Expo West. They said, actually, we're going to take up a part of our booth and we're going to do consumer research. So they have this, they had a new product they were working on and they had a few different variations and they had people t- taste them and give them feedback. And so this year, they're launching their puffs based on that feedback to make yeah. sure they got the right texture, the right flavor, et cetera. So there's lots of different ways to think about this. And I think the last way brands can think about it is to create, you know, w- it, within your brand fan group, um, consumers love to give you their opinion. They yes. love to try new things. They <laughs> yes. love to be your friend. So create a VIP club, yes. um, you know, give them free swag and send them your newest iterations and get their opinions. Um, and, you know, if you do a good job of this, they can really become a brain trust for you so that you can get that consumer voice into your business. Yes. You know who did a great job at that is hmm. Gem, G-E-M, the women's vitamin, like chewable vitamin company. They hmm. started with a really small Facebook group. Um, and I happened to be like an early, early supporter oh. of this. And there were probably... I don't know, maybe 50 of us in the Facebook group. We were all women, probably between the ages of like 25 and 35. And they had us give feedback on, you know, what we were looking for in vitamins, you know, from like the vit- the nutrient aspect, what, what textures we were looking for, mm-hmm. what sort of copy we wanted on the packaging, what sort of packaging we wanted. Like, I mean, everything they would send out you know, like test batches and get feedback. And it was pretty cool to see this, you know, I was in it for the, like the learning aspect and seeing how that they, how they were doing this, but they developed this core audience that really felt like diehard fans for Mm -hmm. this chewable vitamin. And then, you know, sure enough, a couple of years later, like some of these people are now brand ambassadors for them and, you know, demo people. And like, yeah, it's been really, really fun to watch this brand use the power of a, of a very small Facebook community to grow their brand. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, what's really awesome about that is that if you build that relationship with someone, um, they won't be afraid to tell you the really, really, what do they really think? Yeah. Because there is a lot of bias. If you're talking to your friends, your family, even people that are one step yes. removed, people <laughs> want to tell you what you want to hear, what they think yes. you want to hear. And yeah. so that can be difficult when you're getting your consumer voice. So that's why you need to ask for feedback in the right way. Totally. And so, you know, in this example with Gem, 
I will tell you, there was some negative feedback in that Facebook group Mm -hmm. and it was really, really valuable for the founders to, to hear, especially I'll say like, it's smart to hear it in a private environment rather than launching publicly and getting Mm -hmm. that feedback on your Instagram post, right? Like if somebody doesn't like the texture, you want to hear it directly from them um, in hopefully like not so much of a public forum. Um, exactly. And hopefully yeah. in a time with the timing that you can right. incorporate that feedback and yes. keep improving. Yes, absolutely. And so I think what we're, what you were about to say before I cut you off here was with, when we're asking for feedback so often we ask leading questions or mm-hmm. we ask, we, we actually ask questions that don't really give us any information to make that helps us in our business decisions. Right. Like, mm-hmm do you like my ketchup? (laughs) (laughs) How much do you like my ketchup? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I, I feel like so often, you know, I see, I see brands ask these questions that, you know, at the end of the day, they get the surveys back and they're like, well, shoot, like this doesn't do much for my business. This isn't actually giving me information that, that will help me here. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what's key always when you're doing consumer research, because it takes a lot of time and effort and sometimes money. So you really yes. want to get it right. Yeah. Is to think in the beginning, what is my objective and what business decision am I going to make with this information? If the answer is it's not going to affect my business and I'm not going to make a decision from it, don't do the research. Right. And the yes. other thing is to think yes. about is if, okay, once you set up, okay, here's my objective, here's how it's going to affect my business. Um, make your objective as specific as possible. Mm. So you make sure that you're actually hitting that objective because it's really easy to get lost in the weeds of, oh, I want to learn about this or I want to learn about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I want to learn about everything. I sure. want to learn Chinese, but yes. <laughs> only some things are actually helpful from my business. So thinking about that. Yes. And then the second thing when you're setting up your consumer feedback is make sure you're talking to the right person. We talked about the target mm. consumer before they're the only ones you'll care about. So you have to screen consumers, your friends, your family, your newsletter folks, whoever it is, um, so that you're talking to the right person. Yeah, that makes sense. So like, you know, even when you said, you know, ask your friends and family for feedback, I think there was a a big asterisk next to that, knowing that if you are not, you know, trying to appeal to 65-year-old women in suburbia with your Mm -hmm. adaptogen lattes, like, you should stop asking your mom what she thinks. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So a really easy way to do that is to ask them the question of like, which of these categories have you purchased in the past three months? Mm. And you know, you can say, you know, crackers, adaptogenic lattes, yogurt, granola, whatever it is. And then again, you want to talk to only the people who are interested in adaptogenic lattes. Right. Right. Because at the end of the day, if they, you know, even if my mom says she loves my new product line, if she's not going to pull out her wallet and pay for it, then who cares? Yeah. She's not going to that part of the store. It doesn't even matter. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh gosh. I I feel like, <laughs> I feel like you are speaking my language here, Christy. I, <laughs> I love this. I could, I could talk to you all day long about target audiences and using that to drive decision-making in your business. All right. So all that being said, Christy, I know people are going to want to keep in touch with you. Where can they find you? You can find me on nourishingfoodmarketing.com. Okay. Um, I do, as I mentioned before, extraordinary brand marketing for emerging food and beverage brands. So I really focus on 
the people that are listening to your podcast. So if you're interested in chatting with me more, um, feel free to reach out. There's a contact me form on the page, on the webpage, or you can email me at christianemarketing.com. And I offer everyone a complimentary 30 minute consultation to discuss your brand and your needs. Um, would love to chat with you about what you're working on and how I might be able to help. Oh my gosh, Christy. I, I have seen your work firsthand and I love it so much. I was like I said, I was so honored to get you on the podcast here and I can, I'm raising my hand like so tall here <laughs> on the other end of the computer screen. You guys can't see it, but I am, I'm so, you know, I'm so much in support of the work that you do for brands and so, so happy to help, um, help you get the word out there. So what I'll do, Christy, is I'll link your website and your email address here in the show notes. So any of our listeners who didn't get a chance to jot it down, will have access to that. And again, Christy, thank you so much for your time today. It was great having you on the podcast. Thank you, Allie. It was so fun to talk to you. Okay, my whizzes, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. Isn't Christy great? I love her. So I want to know what you think. After listening to this episode, do you agree that you have a bit of work to do on articulating your target audience and ensuring that you have the power that you need to make decisions in your business. I am betting. Yes. Yes. You do need to do some work here. So again, I would love to continue the conversation with you. So come join us in our food biz Wiz Facebook group linked in our show notes. I will see you over there soon. And until next week, stay busy. Thank you for listening to food biz Wiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.